0: Vapor Network is the bomb The cutting edge of geekdom Comics,
1: advice, D&D Movies, video games, RPGs Finding it's easy Just stay
2: The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DD Classics affiliate links.
0: This is Robert J. Schwal, the Prince of Darkness of Gaming, and uh, I'm here on The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner.
2: And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 215, we're... Well, let's face it. We're probably gonna die. Def will reach into a dark hole and instantly teleport naked to a platform dangling over a pit of lava. While I'll probably be assimilated into the collective and have my mind dissected so that the aliens can better understand humanity. God help them. That is, after all, the sort of thing that happens when you review the Dungeons of Dread.
0: In this episode, we are joined by the Tome Show's old-school experts... Our editor Sam Dillon, hello, and our Tom Show news desk man on the street reporter Randall Walker. Hey, hey. That's right. I have redelegated you back to the street. I'm good. I have unsacrificed myself after the last episode. Living in a cardboard box <laughs> in an alley. I'm just figuring out <laughs> wh- which horrible uh, location we're going to send you to next.
3: I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And today we're talking about the Dungeons of Dread reprint. This book collects four classic first edition D&D adventures into one hard bound book with a new forward giving some historical context for the whole collection.
0: This book gives you the classic S series of adventures including the Tomb of Horrors, White Plume Mountain, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, and the Lost Caverns of Sajkanth. Did I say it right?
3: Yes, you did. All right. I've been practicing. I'm impressed.
0: All famous in their own right, and now bundled together, we're going to review the product as it is in this format, as well as reviewing the adventures themselves to see uh, how well they stand up to the test of time.
2: But before we get too far along, we should mention our sponsor, NobleKnight.com. It's a game store where you can find all sorts of great out of print games, and also get your new stuff as well. Today we're going to highlight the classic Tomb of Horrors in case the reprinted collection doesn't do it for you because you need the cover art and the pullout booklet with the pictures, maps, and stuff in it. Or maybe you just want to complete your collection. Noble Knight can provide what you need. They have the classic adventure going back to the first printing up through the fourth printing and beyond of this 1e module. We'll link you in the fourth printing entry because you can pick it up for only $10. That's right, 10 bucks for something that's been out of print for almost as long as I've been alive.
1: God, I just <laughs> wow. I think Randall and I just aged about yeah, twenty years. You know,
0: you know. And when, when I wrote that, I specifically thought, "Oh, those guys are gonna love that." Yeah. <laughs> Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games, while also offering the newest great releases,
2: including D and D.
0: They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them.
2: What if I want a board game, card game, minis, or dice?
0: Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee.
2: Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more?
0: Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com.
2: Wow, I'll go today!
0: And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're back, and now it's time to get into the Dungeons of Dread. Let's start by discussing the product in general, this bundle of four classic adventures. What do we think about how they put it all together?
3: Um, I'll jump in. Uh, yeah a great uh, coffee table piece impractical for running at the game table.
0: Yeah. Although I don't know that it's any more impractical than a lot of other adventures that are bought, sold right now. I do Jeff.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well tell me <laughs> it's a hardbound book. So it makes it very difficult to, um, to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to bend the, the spine. You want to mm-hmm. don't want, it won't lay flat. Um, it'd be really difficult to stand on end. Um, so, you know, while I think it's a great piece to thumb through, if you if you want that piece of nostalgia, um, I I really I honestly would, – and I've discussed this before. I think on uh, other Tome show mm-hmm. podcasts that um, I just I wouldn't use it to run it run those at the table. I, I just wouldn't. I use something else.
0: And, and I, think, I, you know, I I get that. You, I guess my only point is that I feel like there are other products that they've put out recently that are the exact same way, and 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 they're fa- they're faulty that. for the same
3: reasons. Yeah, then they need to change that. Right. So. Sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> any true set of adventures that that needs use at the table is going to need a map that is at least able to separate from the spine of the book. And uh, if it has images that you are specifically supposed to show to the players, they need to be easily separated from other items that you don't want the players to see yet. And this book lacks both of those particular items. I get
0: that. And I, and I, I I recognize those faults. At the same time, I don't know that that means... They're unplayable. I think you could use this product
1: at the table. You just have to overcome those challenges. Yeah, well, true. I
3: only said it would be impractical. I didn't say sure. it'd yeah. be impossible. So, so no, that's <laughs> well,
1: there, there's the other the other thing that it's lacking that has nothing to do with play is the co- actual original covers. Yeah, they don't really they don't really give you the original covers. They just yeah. they start with page one of the the, fir- the first page of the booklet, um, which I you know. Not that they need to reprint them on cardstock or make them even all completely, you know, very thick like a cover of a book, but you know, just reproduce a page where you reproduce a, a, a smaller version of what the original cover looked like. That would have been nice.
0: It would have been cool. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, they have added uh, well the one th- the one page that they've added to the whole thing, right? With, is the the table of contents and the forward. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I found it, and maybe it's the historian in me, but I found the the forward to be very interesting to understand the context of of each of these modules. Uh, you know, Tomb of Horrors was supposed to be t- taking the approach of you know if a if a mastermind villain actually wanted to keep adventurers out, what kind of crazy stuff would they do to, to, to do that? You know, that with that mm-hmm. mentality in mind, uh, some of the traps suddenly and the way they're laid out make more sense to me. Um, that White Plume Mountain was originally this guy's uh, – was it uh, Lawrence Schick? Mm-hmm. Was originally sort of his way of saying, hey, look at all the, the, the things I can throw together and, and, and I can do and I can design for. It wasn't supposed to be a published module, and they said they loved it, so they published it anyway.
3: And blatantly rip off Michael Moorcock. Sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he mentions, right, that he does <laughs> yeah. two yeah, or yeah. three different yeah. things that purposefully were meant to show that he could emulate a right. certain sure. you Absolutely. know item. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then what was it, uh,
0: Barrier Peaks was, the, was uh, of course, it's the it's the classic well-known sort of sci-fi, um, mm-hmm. sci-fi in your D&D. And then um, I, I found the the last one, uh, Lost Caverns of Sajkant, um, e- the most interesting of the bunch because uh, as somebody who's dealing with uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil storyline in my own game right now, mm-hmm. I found that sort of that historical context of, oh, this is the, the whole, that whole storyline that ends with the, what is it, the... the the, the Temple of Tharazdun, yeah, yeah,
3: mm-hmm. that that
0: that this was actually part of that, and all came out came out out of order, and and it wasn't really clear that they were connected, but this is was
3: originally designed to be part of that, yeah. Um, I don't know if we're talking are we going to end up talking about the adventures separately or not, but the Lost Caverns of Sajkanth is a you know it's a set piece for Greyhawk, mm-hmm. is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and so you know we could talk about them. <laughs> In the module itself later, but yeah, it's it's interesting that it's. I mean, it's a good set piece as far as historical data for Greyhawk, um, uh, just like uh, the others in that series, like Temple of Doom, like you were saying, Temple mm-hmm. of Doom. I mean, uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. <laughs> like yeah, sorry. Well, also, From Temple
1: the, the Sojkanth introduced a lot of uh, creatures that have since become rather iconic. Uh, oh, you know, sure. the Bay here, the Bodak, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the the what is it, Rutterkin? Oh, several demon and, lords. You know, yeah, there's several demons, the, the Dretch, right? Uh, some, some creatures that you just, you know, they, they are sort of synonymous with the idea of Dungeons and Dragons were introduced in that module. So mm-hmm. it has some historical significance there as well. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: So beyond. Um, being a, a historical note, uh, since we've already started talking Lost Caverns of Sajkanth, I guess we'll go backwards um, <laughs> through the book. So, so how how well does Lost Caverns hold up? Uh, is it something that you would want to play now? I mean, they've they've, and it's worth noting to everybody listening, they've offered conversion guides, and by conversion guides, we mostly mean monster statistics, um, so you could run these adventures in D anD D next. So, so how well
3: does it hold up? Would you want to? Um. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, only because it's, uh, I, I it, it was a mishmash. It doesn't hold together as far as plot for me very well at all. Lost caverns. Uh, yeah, okay. um, it's like they let's let's take an underground area. To me, it was written just like um, Isle of Dread. Uh-huh. It was literally a land-based form of Isle or, or valley-locked form of. Mm-hmm. Isle of Dread, where you have a little bit of wilderness adventure with some key encounter areas, with one main adventure area, except it's a much larger main adventure area, um, and then the and then loosely tied into the whole world of Greyhawk, you know, mythos and stuff like that. And I just think it's it's a jumble. I mean, it's like take a bunch of caverns and fill them
1: with random crap. <laughs> well, it's you know what it feels like. It feels like um, someone's campaign notes. Right. Yeah. But not organized
3: in any kind of, but but
1: no, but that's, that's what I mean though. I don't mean, I don't mean like campaign notes that you would give to your friend and say, here, read this. It's a great campaign setting guide. I mean, campaign notes like, oh, well, uh, you know, they met these, you know, a representative of these people at one point. So I'm going to write a little bit about them and then, oh, well, and then, you know, someone heard a rumor about this, this thing over here. So let's just add it. And then, oh, and then there was this other thing, you know what I mean? And it's like this mishmash of notes, which was, you know, my prime uh, example of this.
3: Is it's a it's a bunch of underdark stuff, a bunch of caverns and things, and in the middle there's a Marid run den of iniquity, <laughs> just at random in a cage, yep. stuck. You know who are their customers? W- WTF?
2: Antichamber <laughs> of the Garden of One Thousand Earthly Delights, exactly. With right? Two comely women in it,
3: of course. So and totally random and totally. Out of uh, uh, there was no reason for that to be there. Like, I have, to, I have like, to say,
0: some of the the location or or room titles are incredibly um, specific in detail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and detailed, and to the point of being a little bit on the nose. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, I was thoroughly impressed in Tomb of Horrors by the the room that was that was listed as quote Hu- huge pit with two hundred spikes.
3: Yeah, it looked like... <laughs> really? <laughs> <It was> 200
0: <laughs> specifically? <laughs> 200
3: spikes, exactly. And I
0: it's count a them. huge <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I I enjoyed some of those a little... It's like, well, that really... That, that was really weird, but... And then other rooms are completely, like, nondescript. Like, there's no information at all.
2: Right. Yeah, and I feel like there are parts... Uh, like, the the mouths at the beginning, and you have to try to figure out what to say... Uh, to get them to point out the right way to go and everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I don't know how many players today want to do that.
1: Yeah, that's a very old school and style I, of, you know, some some sessions would you'd spend 20 or 30 minutes, even longer, actually, with everybody just trying to figure out, okay, what the heck are we supposed to do next? You know, what is the DM trying to, you know, you know, when, hint at us but we have to sit here and put our heads together and figure out
2: are we allowed to spoil this at all or no oh uh,
1: these have been, out for, like been out for like 30 years, years.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, sorry sorry sam yeah we're talking at the same time yeah so
0: so spoiler <laughs> alert right now we're going to go ahead and spoil yeah. these if you don't want to be spoiled then don't listen from this point forward or come back later
2: but yeah. it's like you, you can't do like a command spell or demand the gems from the mouse but if you could get them to say ah they'll just stick their tongue out and you can get <laughs> the gem <laughs> And, like, it sounds kind of cool, and I could see it being kind of a cool thing, particularly if you're younger and you get to stick your tongue, like, the DM gets to stick your tongue out and go, ah. But I don't know, like, if it stands up when you're older. Well, well and I can and, see. And I think that's.
0: Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I can see some. Um, I mean, part of that's just corny, right? And I yeah. Can, I can see corniness holding up and still being fun in, in moderation. Um, right. And I don't have a problem with that. Um, but no, no, and there's elements of that all over, the, in, in all of these adventures. And I think it's uh, Gygax's adventure specifically have all, well, these, and that's, all these things so, where, I mean, it just outright says in some of these, in some of these places, like, yeah. there, is, there is one solution to this puzzle. And no matter what else they try, yeah. no matter what other magic they use, short of a wish, it mm-hmm. cannot be done any other way except for this one way. Well, that doesn't hold up at all but, to, to reality,
1: to the, the mechanics of the game, to, you know, fun. Yeah. But see, here's the other problem. That's one of the reasons, though, why it feels like... Uh, campaign notes, right? Because that was Gary. That was the Gary Gygax style. He had a very corny sense of humor, apparently. And that I could imagine being very fun at the table. But you know what? When I'm planning my game, I never sit down and say, okay, I'm going to have a really corny joke ready right here. And my players are obviously going to step right into it. And I'm going to be able to deliver the corny joke. Like that just doesn't, I don't plan it. Most of those corny jokes occur at the table spontaneously, not because they're written in a module, which is why this seems mishmash. And right, and then, want, oh, go ahead, Tracy. I'm sorry. Oh
2: no, the only thing I was going to say, like about this, is like I prefer it when the players have to do the thing, like stick out their tongues, rather sure. than like the DM doing it.
3: Right. Yeah. And I th- and I think one of the flaws in a, in probably all of these modules is the fact that and this was I think Guy style, but he 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 throws in modern things or modern uh, we can call them tropes, but they're really you know things or habits or or expressions. That Mm -hmm. would never apply in the in the area that that particular campaign is in. Like for example, you would never tell, you know, a fantasy character would never tell another fantasy character to stick out their tongue and say "ah." That comes from dentistry. That comes from or a doctor. That you know, a modern doctor (laughs) that comes and tells you. And until someone tells me that that was a common thing for medieval doctors to say to their patients, other than "give me your arm," I'm going to bleed you. You know, I <laughs> right exactly right. so yeah. you know, I think and, and that that throws people off. And if you're writing modules like that, then you're going to have problems with your players because you know, if they're really trying to get into the set, they're not thinking modern things, they're trying to think in character if you can't, most of them anyway. And well, so, at least, some, it's yeah. at least
2: subgroups, yeah, yes,
3: exactly. So,
2: so, but that's you're, one of the weird things. Sometimes when talking about D and D and other uh, role playing games, is like I think that that part is more treating the players as the audience too, so that like because right. they get it outside right. of what their characters would
0: yeah.
2: get. I mean, there's an actual well, there's, part of,
0: there's an actual part of that in D and D anyway, right? Anytime you you throw a puzzle into your game, there's an element of you're challenging the players, not the PCs.
1: Well, and right? and so that's that's actually what I was going to bring up is that that's a sort of a more modern way. Right, you know the, the the skill system arose because you needed a way to help the player, help the PCs, the characters solve a puzzle if the players just weren't getting it. Right, mm-hmm. and and it's you know that that sort of shifted and it's been shifting ever since. And and nowadays it's sort of more, it's a more modern perspective to say, well, you know what, it's okay if if. To be frank, some of the players at your table are just not as smart as you think they should be, yeah. right? And they can't solve your puzzle because you're either not good enough at making a puzzle or presenting it or you're not good enough at making it obvious because you know, sometimes you just have to make it obvious mm-hmm. and they'll still work really hard at it, right? I mean th- this is – that's just something that happens and so you have to be able to help them. And so the skill system arose. But when these were written, there was no skill system. It was your intent is to challenge the players, and so a lot of times you have to use more modern kind of things because that's what the players will end up. You know, it's sort of like the whole oh well, screw it, we'll just try anything. You know, stick out your tongue and say ah, and suddenly ding, that's what works, right?
3: Well, and I and that's fine too. I like playing to my players too because I am of that a little bit of that old school thought where I like to have my players challenged. Mm -hmm. I don't like them to just be able to roll a die and magically make it happen.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, of course.
3: And so, um, but I won't use thing. I'll use things that are appropriate that they would know, but also that, or that I would hope that they would know and also would be appropriate to the setting that I'm using. So, you know, um, there may be a reference to bloodletting, but there wouldn't be necessa- – or leeches or whatever. But there wouldn't be a reference to stick your tongue out and say, ah, oh, for that reason you know, or turn, or, or turn your head and cough. Yeah,
0: and I, yeah. I mean, you know. we're turning into – we're quickly turning into an advice episode here. but <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, and I was going to say I, I'm going to give advice too because that's one of the things I do. And, and instead of just giving a straight-up puzzle, I like to tie it to, my, to, to the setting. And then I bring right. their skills in to give them the context of the setting. And I'll right. give them okay. Well, in this setting, this is the kind of. But they still have to put it together and figure out what how what it means.
1: Well, or yeah. I set it set it up so that it's really neutral, right? Where it right. has to do with colors or numbers. geometric shapes or numbers, and having nothing to do with you know anything modern, you know, more modern than numbers, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're abstract, you can get away from a lot of mm-hmm. that. So, but this right. doesn't do that. Tracy, you want to say no. something?
2: Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say other advice that I've heard with this because uh, it was something that kind of bothered me about it was. Uh, making changes to how some of the female characters are treated, like the gnomes, like they, they can have equal amounts of uh, gold as the male gnomes can, and they can fight too. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: And I think, yeah. uh, and some of that yeah. c- can easily be fixed. Mm-hmm. If you're going to run it, you could easily fix that in your own game. You know, um, just just eliminate a, a lot of that misogyny that's built into into the adventures as written.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, all all of these things sort of add up to me not, you know, I, let me put it this way. If I was going to run one of these, I would run it with the system they were written for. I wouldn't run it with a modern system. I would I would say, "Hey, who wants to do a, you know, a three session RPG AD&D arc? Let's just roll it old school and go in and I'd plan on, you know, sending the bu- sending a bunch of, you know, pre-gen characters or something through Tomb of Horrors." For three weeks in a row, or whatever, and just say, you know, you don't have to care about your character. Or you don't, you know, because there, you, you know, you might all die. You may, maybe may not. But you know, we're only going to do this for three weeks. And and I would still probably omit, you know, the misogynistic parts of it because it wouldn't matter, right? right. Um, it wouldn't matter if I throwing those in doesn't add anything. You know, leave it, leaving them in adds absolutely nothing to my game world. Yeah. Right? You know, so I would just leave them out, or or you know, change them. You know, and and then I would run this in the system it was intended to be run with, but I certainly wouldn't run it with anything modern.
2: I, I had one question because I, I was reading some of the reviews of this of the Lost Caverns, and it was mm-hmm. saying that this was one of the first modules that had replayability, and I was I would have no idea because I haven't had a chance to actually play it or play it more than once. Is, is that true?
3: Um, I suppose if you only took a certain path in the caves, and then solved the uh, the teleporters um successfully than I maybe. <laughs> I think I <laughs> think
1: it's Yeah, I, I mean it's more true just in comparison because a lot of the modules that came before this were all tournament modules. So they literally were meant to start with you standing at the mouth of the cave or standing at the, you know, entrance to the dungeon and then you go through and it's meant to be a very short lived thing. And um and so there's no replayability there Unless you just want to keep running through the same thing until you win, so to speak. That's the type of replayability that you would get from a tournament module. Okay. Um, whereas this was more like a campaign, you know quote unquote campaign module where here's a thing and it's giving you enough information about a setting and and the sort of gods and demons that are in this setting that you could actually expand on it and turn it into a real campaign. But in terms of replayability, I, I, you know, not in the modern sense of the word, no.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's replayable in as much as it's giving you a setting, right? And then you sure. can do, do what you want with that setting. Whereas, you know, Tomb of Horrors or whatever don't give you much mm. of a setting. It's just here's a dungeon, um, right? Because you know, right. because I mean, you you guys have specifically said that Lost Cameras doesn't even really give you much of a story, right? Yeah. Which is ironic, mm. being the, the non-tournament module that mm. can be more story-focused and then didn't. Right.
1: Well, it's it doesn't give a story, but it, what it does is it provides some right. locations yeah. and some some creatures, and you can get hooks out of it and add it to your world if you want to. So in that way, it's it's a more story-based campaign type thing. But,
0: well, and ultimately Gary didn't know how to write a good adventure because – Nobody had done it really, you know. He didn't have the, the experience of, of other people's Well, he didn't work,
3: write Sajkant, did
0: he? Oh, didn't
1: he? I thought he did. I don't. No, he, he did. did. Yeah, he did. Did he? Yep. I thought he oh. wrote the first. Yes, yeah, he wrote. He wrote everything except some uh, white plume. He wrote everything except white plume.
2: Okay. I had actually one other question, but this could also be a general one. One one of the pieces of advice given on these for the DM is that they should have read and kind of understood the entire module before playing but some of these modules are pretty long Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's that's a lot of advanced prep
3: oh they're brutal yeah (laughs) yeah
1: it's so the the thing is that um it's not like you're going to memorize every single thing but the the thing is if you read through the module a couple of times you'll you'll know okay Here's the sort of basic idea of this place. And when your character, when the characters in the party start coming up to a particular area and you scan it with your eyes, you remember, oh, yeah, this is that thing where this happens. And then you can, hey. you know, you don't have to stop and say, oh, well, hold on, guys, while I read these three paragraphs to remember. And then, whoops, I was supposed to give them a signal when they were 10 feet back, you know. So. Mm-hmm. You know, because some things you can make notes on it. Oh, I, I need to give them a hint that something's coming up right here before they actually get to this room, mm-hmm. which was, you know, something that he used to do a lot of. So
0: Or, or Just, oops, I forgot I forgot to start counting to 10 at the right yeah. spot.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Which he, yeah, he, he
0: reuses that. that mechanic several times. Right, yeah. which and I it's
3: actually it's think is a, like that, so. is a fairly effective mechanic. No, I, th- I actually like that mechanic because it does make your players jump up and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um. But yeah, I agree with the complexity because Tomb Horrors and White Prune Mountain aren't too bad. They're fairly short. Mm-hmm. The uh, While the encounters are bizarre, they're not what I'd call complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read 4E Adventures where the actual encounter was far more complicated than anything in, in mm-hmm. any of those modules. Um, reading, though, I, today, I for review for this particular podcast, I was rereading some of them. And the um, while I love... Uh, Barry Peaks, oh my god. <laughs> it's a nightmare to try to read. The layout is horrible. And it's like everything is jumbled up. And and it's just all this information crammed into the, all of this stuff. And it's just... And then at the end, it's for naught. There's no conclusion. No. You get chucked out the the bay doors at the end. That's how it ends. With, yeah, with Spoiler the bulet, right? <laughs>
1: <Yeah.
3: Spoiler alert. laughs> Robots, chuck your ass out the end of the spaceship when you get to the right level, and that's the end. Along with a boulet that you have to fight.
1: Yeah.
3: So, you I, know, and I actually um, found
0: going from, from module to module to module, uh, there's not even a standardized formatting. You oh, know, no. one, one module oh. is formatted one way, and the next one is formatted another way or whatever, so you can't even... Use what you've learned reading one of them to help you be better at reading the next
3: one. Right, yeah. I mean, one of the things about these modules is that, I mean, it was – if you want to look at anything, it was an example of people learning how to use this toolkit and trying to do it in weird and bizarre ways. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing that Gary Gygax did after he came up with the original rules with him and Arneson was to start figuring out how to use it in weird ways, mm-hmm. like in the West or in space or wherever. And it, you see these results in some of the stuff that you have in front of you as forms these old modules. So,
1: yeah. Well, what's really funny is you're talking about a guy who cares so much about the proper use of a specific type of a polearm that he'll write <laughs> yeah. he'll write ten you know. pages about which yeah. – whether you should be using a, 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 a arm or a, you know, whatever, <laughs> a halberd in a particular place, and it depends if the dungeon's 10 feet wide or 15 feet wide or only 5 feet wide, you know. And at the same time, he's throwing in the wacky you know, oh, but here's the spaceship and the bunny on a stump and the, yeah. you know, here's the robots and the, you know, and then the, you know, here's, yeah, it's just it's just strange. It's just odd, you know. He, there's this this real attempt at certain simulationist ideas that come from or spring from, we suppose, spring from oh. Chainmail. Well, and then there's, and, and oh, but let's put general. this scenario, right? And, you know, make it, wham, it's wacky and gonzo and strange.
3: Yeah. And at the time it was. Yeah.
0: So, Well, I would argue that a lot of it still is wacko and, and strange.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if nothing else, the, the, yeah. the weirdness factor holds up. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just not shocking anymore because it's everybody's heard of these and, and knows where those the weirdness is coming from.
3: Well, you can even see them on TV. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. A lot of these things you look is like, holy crap, I think I played that one time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, wait, I've seen that before. It's like, where did I see that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and that's okay. where I think that, I think uh, the, the the cultural and, and the, the context and the history of the game is where I've gotten the most value out of this, you know, um, understanding sort of of where D and D came from, sort of um, you know having never, you know, obviously I was I was two, right when the Tomb of Horrors was was reprinted. Right. Um, so I never had the opportunity to play through most of these classic adventures or any of these classic adventures actually um, this is the first time I've had a chance to actually pick them up and read them uh, and so so I'm, I'm finding interest in just sort of going back and say oh that's what that thing is oh or I kind of see what he's doing here that said um, I don't think I could run any of them straight as they are I mean ignoring the lack of story, ignoring the built in misogyny of the whole thing, ignoring all of that which is a lot to ignore um the mechanics don't hold up for me. A lot of the, the, the mechanics and, and the way they're built, you know, I, I go through Tomb of Horrors and there are, you know, specific parts where, you know, he basically says, let's go ahead and ignore all the rules that we've created and this is the way this is gonna work here. You know? <laughs> uh if you go into this situation something's gonna shoot out at you and there's a one in six chance it hits. Well let, okay, then why did we invent Faco
1: and AC? If there's just an automatic one in six chance that it hits, you know, Well, but see, that's – then you're going back to the history of the game, which was you know, the rules were guidelines, not actual strict rules to be followed, and really only the DM knew those rules theoretically. The DM was only supposed to know those rules. The players, all they have is the player's handbook. They don't even have the two hit tables. Mm -hmm. So in AD&D First Edition, when you rolled, you didn't even really know what you needed to roll to hit. That's right. You just you just roll because those project. those tables were in the DM guide, sure. not the player's handbook. Yeah. So this is even before True Thaco. You know, before they named it Thaco sure and told you. the told the players, here's what you need to hit armor class zero. We didn't even know that. Oh, the, only the DM knew. So it was okay for the DM. You know, for Gary to write in. You know this. I say Gary like I knew him or something, but you know <laughs> it was okay for him to write in this new rule because that's what you did. You just made it up. If you didn't know the rule or if you didn't care about the rule or it was too complicated, you just said, oh, well, you know, I think this is a devastating enough trap that it's going to hit on a one out of six.
0: Well, but but, that, but like that's the that. thing is that it's not – this is the same guy making up both rules. Yeah, like, I know. Gary made up the, the rules about how you hit and then decided mm-hmm. to completely ignore them and the only person uh-huh. reading this is the
2: DM well, who's the only person who knows right. those other rules. So we're not it? just like, <laughs> make them consistent? he foresaw that there were going to be optimizers out there <laughs> <laughs> and this is the ultimate tool against
1: those people but, no you know well, what that's though jeff you're, you're, true you're, there. what you're saying is what you're saying is the whole reason why third edition and beyond and even late second edition became a system that was you know understood that everyone is going to know all the rules and it's okay theoretically quote unquote okay for a player to question of the adjudication of a rule, if they disagree with it, because oh. there were a lot of people who didn't know how to handle, you know, the fact that sure. there were these modules that would write the rules in differently, and they didn't follow the guidelines in the DMG or the player's handbook, and so people would, you know, and if you had, you know, let's be honest, if you had a jerk as a DM, he could just say, well, you know what, lightning bolt comes down. I think a lightning bolt should do uh, ten d twelve damage. Boom, you're dead.
0: Well, and, and you're not wrong, and I, and I, and I don't really agree with that. that.
1: That that said,
3: <laughs> yeah, it's called zotting people. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll
0: now, tell you why in a minute. No, uh, that, yeah. So that's that said. Th- th- it wrinkles me not as a player though. It wrinkles me as a DM because as a DM, if there's a rule here, then, mm-hmm. then why does there need to be a different rule right, in this module? But, but, doing but the I'm exact saying, same thing?
1: But I'll tell you why because you learned how to play and how to DM on a system where all the rules were meant to be followed. And what no, I'm telling I, you, I learned is, in Second
3: Edition.
0: So, right. So
1: it's not that dissimilar.
3: It wasn't, not for personal
1: No, uh, Not He yeah, really.
3: used Thaco, you know, but right. it, it was, which is just a nice way to renumber the tables, so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, th- I think, I, honestly, I, th- I feel like a lot of it was Gary, again, like we know him. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like a, lo- a lot of it was Gary sort of making up some of those rules as he went along anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. I, know? I, oh, yeah. I think yeah. we have proved one thing here. The What's debates that? that people often have about. Uh, following the rules versus not following the rules, making stuff up as you go along. Uh-huh. And none of this was ever settled.
1: No, no, no. Oh, and it's no. still not. It's still you could not. have
3: an entire pod series <laughs> yeah. devo- de- uh, devoted to DM versus player agency. And that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And these modules certainly freely use DM agency. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's you know, uh, without a doubt, you know. Yeah. But
1: uh, the game was yeah. run by DM Fiat, and that was it, because you could run a game without the DMG. You could just make up the hit tables.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I and mean, all the monster stats are in there because there're only three things. It has it's yeah. this it has this AC, it has this many hit points and it does this much damage.
1: Uh-huh. That's pretty much it. So, I mean, you know, it's, you know, that's just the way it, the way that it was.
0: No, and I get that. And and I guess and and, and I I get the the context. Um, and I appreciate the context. And those are all things that I would not do if I were to run them. Like th- those are all things I would have to mechanically um, re- retrofit or refit or whatever if I were ever to run one of the modules.
1: Yeah. Well, that, and that's why I say I would run it. I, see, I wouldn't want to go through the work of retrofitting all that. I would just run them as they are, but in the system that they were written for. I wouldn't run them in a because mod- you know I, you, if you want to put these in a modern context, you have to rewrite them literally.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, because because we talked about the fact that they they did the monsters, which is, is great, but yeah. like, how do you use skills in here? Because the skills don't exist yeah. so if you if right. you use D and D next characters.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. then, so then your choice is you either ignore the skill system in D and D next, or you have to ratchet on a frame, you know, a framework of skill use and that's a whole lot of work.
0: Yeah, although well, well I don't I don't know There's that much, work. I think it, I think a decent DM can adjudicate that on the fly and that's the beauty of having a yeah. DM.
3: I think a lot of the things are based on ability score rolls, which is what really first edition used as opposed to skills. Mm-hmm. You had like mm-hmm. a secondary skill which was no, I mean that was just an area of interest. Yeah. But I mean, but for the for things in the modules themselves, if it required you to do something other than a saving throw, it was an ability check. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And they lo- it looks like D and d's swinging that way mm-hmm. at least for the basic rules and you know at least according to the last information I read on the on wizard site and mm-hmm. so any kind of skill package would be added on as a you know extra play um, I actually like the idea of using the ability scores not just because I'm old school like that but because it does eliminate a layer of dice rolling and numbers that you have to yeah. figure out.
2: But the thing is, I, I remember reading—I think in the last caverns—that there were things like you wouldn't be able to do this unless you had a thief. Now you can figure out what that means, but
3: oh yeah, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah. You're right. Those I'm not entirely. Yeah, I'm not a real big fan of those either because it eliminates how many players you have available to you to be able to run the thing. Well, right. and, and, and I, sus- not I suspect not everyone wants to be a thief.
0: And I suspect even even at the time, a good DM. Could hand wave a lot of that. You know? Oh, sure, Cause, cause absolutely. There, there are yeah. big it chunks did. of the book that are very much written in black and white. Yeah, that you can. I mean, a good DM can say, "Yeah, but it's, we're not in a black and white world," and and I'm gonna I'm gonna make
1: a different ruling. You know?
3: Oh, I can tell you from experience. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And that goes for every old module. Yeah,
3: that goes for every module. <laughs> well, By sure, far. but I, I mean, we're just talking oh, about right. you know these old ones. classics, right? My bard in Tuma Horrors died three times. <laughs> we had a rod of resurrection. That helped. Yeah. <laughs> but he died three times in that module yeah. on the way through. So, yeah, there was a yeah, DM's can and will um, uh, adjudicate. Mm-hmm. Adjudicate. When well, necessary.
0: And, and and I mean, he also. There are certain moments when in uh, in the, the modules where they also sort of say, you know, uh, this spell doesn't work, and this spell doesn't work, and this spell doesn't work, and the only way to, to solve this is to do this thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that that is written from from a standpoint of not quite understanding yet that we're going to keep adding on more rules, and there's going to be a thousand more spells that you never conceived of when you wrote this module. Mm-hmm. You know, right. It's it's a very different style based off of not uh, based off limitations that they that they thought they were
1: under that didn't actually exist. Well, it's also that's also a style that is, I mean, OK, you're the player and you know, your DM and you know that you're going into a dangerous place. So you make your character and you pick the spells that you think are going to help you most. And you get to that point and the DM says, oh, no, sorry, that spell won't work here. How <laughs> pissed would you oh, be? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, like, if that happens once, okay. But if it's like a list of four spells, which it is, right? Here's these four spells don't work. Yeah. In fact, nothing works except this one particular thing. That is very not modern. You know, there, modern. There better be a damn good
2: story inside. behind that. That's right, all I gotta yeah, say. Exactly. I better be. I better <laughs> yeah. be very impressed and entertained for a good half hour <laughs> by this story. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it's just it's it is very much a different style, and it was, you know, they. It's sort of uh, I, I I sort of think of these historically as you know these were written when the game was trying to find its way and and get its feet under it, and the, the these four particular modules are representative of of four different types of of adventure modules that. That each illustrate a different kind of thing, but they're they're really an evolution of you know how do we actually write a good adventure you know because well, it, what what's happening at the table doesn't necessarily translate to a module, right? right. Yeah, and,
2: and some of these I mean we haven't talked about the other three yet, but some of them were tor- tournament pe- play styles. So I think yeah. go,
0: go ahead because yeah. I think we're jumping all over them now. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> well. I don't think we're going to go through them each one by one anymore.
2: Yeah, so I just say like the tournament style also uh, brings in an extra layer of difficulty sometimes in understanding what that means for normal play around the table because mm-hmm. they're meant to really challenge the players and it, it, like and challenge the players. It's not just the characters and make them right. think outside the box. And that's why you might have more of those. Oh yeah, I, I know you think that spell should work here, but it just doesn't. You're gonna have to think of something else right. because because that's another challenge.
1: Right. And with no other explanation needed because in a tournament, you've only got four hours or whatever, and you're not going to sit there and argue with the DM for a half hour. Right. You're going to say, oh, crap, we got to think of something else, guys. Let's yeah. spend the next 29 minutes thinking of something else.
3: And that actually links back to why players find a lot of these, maybe not caverns, but the rest of them, um, replayable. Because they represent a notch on a player's belt. I survived Tomb of Horrors is a big thing to say. And or you know, I I, I rescued Black Razor. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. yeah, and honestly that's that's where like m- the most value I get out of the book is just the reading and, and understanding, and going back and looking at the history of the game, right? Mm-hmm. But but there is part of me that says, you know what? Maybe it would be fun to pick out one of these, run it as next, and tell my players, you know, we're going to run the classic module of just to see what it was like, because you know we didn't play then. We want to we want to see, you know, what, what are these these old Grognar's talking about all the time, and, and try to capture some of that and, and experience it, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, you, it would require know, a bunch of enough work that I don't know, know that I want to do it for more than one.
3: Right. You could also ask a Grognard. Yeah, but it's not the same as experiencing it. You
0: know? No, that's true. I can look at I can I can look at pictures of India, but it's not the same as the trip I'm taking this summer. You know? No,
3: you yeah. ab- and you are absolutely right about that. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I'm taking my players through Village of Omelet.
1: Right. So, yeah. I'm actually running my my Castles and Crusades game through uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil. So they just they just right. have walked up to the moat house, and so it's pretty it's a pretty interesting experience because it is a very sort of old style, you know, set of adventures
3: there's like 130 people
1: that play castles and crusades right ever <laughs> uh there's a whole <laughs> castles and crusades society mr grognar basically castles and crusades I is just a funny retro clone i know you are yeah i know you um i am just i got to defend my castles and crusades peeps you know i got gotcha. you no so I'm, you're I'm
2: playing it before it. it was cool
1: no i didn't say all that i don't even I
0: don't, <laughs> i'm just saying any other thoughts on any of these books? Because we're all over the place and, and clearly not going through them in order.
2: Well, you know, that's it's kind of fitting because they were all over the place. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> now, but that, I, don't, I, don't want give, I don't want
0: to give people the wrong impression. No, I, no, I'm enjoying going through them and reading them, warts and all. Like I can totally recognize all of the problems and, and, I, and, yeah. I, and I see them and we can discuss them and we can point them out all day long. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not
3: enjoying them, you know? Yeah, there are problematic parts to all of them. I think. Um. So, so if I let's 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 ask you guys this way:
0: if I were to pitch to my players, hey, we should play through one of these and and try to see what it was like to be a, an old school gamer. Which one of the four modules would you th- say I should play?
3: Oh, Tomb of Horrors.
1: Okay, Sam. Um. Do you want them to die a lot or do you want
0: them to, No I, this is the this is the
1: real choice the real choice between Tomb of Horrors and White Plume Mountain is Tomb of Horrors was written to kill the players uh, PCs and White White Plume Mountain was written to challenge them but not necessarily kill them uh-huh.
3: says the guy wielding black razor
1: uh, nobody ever picks wave. Why doesn't anybody ever pick wave? Anyway. <laughs> because it's a bullshit artifact. Oh that's come why. on! I tried it. It's awesome. Anyway, you have to get a
3: little rap to get it. That's why. Um, I'm just kidding.
1: In any case, <laughs> yeah. <sorry>. Uh, um, <laughs> so that that's the choice, really. I, but you know, if you have to choose one and you don't, and it doesn't matter whether you kill a lot, do tomb horrors because. It's, it is it is a badge of 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 honor, so to speak, to say you know that you've at least been through Tomb of Horrors, right? It's it's sort of one of those geek cred things, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, D and D, oh yeah, I remember Tomb of Horrors, you know. Mm-hmm. Tracy, would you have a suggestion? You've read through them all.
0: Uh, <laughs> None of them.
2: I don't know. <laughs> the closest thing I would actually play, but this is the problem: is not I the Barrier Peaks one.
3: Yeah, that's actually not a bad. If you can wade through the material. It's actually interesting in the way it combines the different stuff. Uh. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, because the, the thing is, tournament style doesn't overly appeal to me, and uh, lots of player character death doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> uh, and I, I kind of like, I'd be more interested in seeing how sci fi was brought in rather than the other stuff. Mm hmm.
1: See that the only problem with Barrier Peaks. So uh, well let me put let me say this first. The reason I suggest Tomb of Horrors is because you can run it as a one shot and be done.
2: Yeah.
1: Be done with it. Barrier Peaks I- if you really do it right is going to take you more than one session. Oh yeah. And the second thing is you have to really get player buy in that they don't know what that ray gun is, right? Right. right, right. So or you, you know, can and, just and take
2: DMV no. and make it something else.
1: Well, there is that 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 weird you know mechanism that he uses for determining you know how how well the players can figure out how to use right. the stuff. It's those weird flowchart things, right? But you know, it really does take player buy-in to go to go through that and have it be a lot of fun. So it if just you could, reminds
2: just, me of Borderlands too, through. and I, I I'm cool with Borderlands too. Yeah, but yeah. going through all the different creatures.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, I love the the bunny on the stump. I really do. I, 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 Barrier <laughs> Peaks is is a really great module. I I really like it. I know a lot of people who don't like it at all. They think it's the dumbest thing ever. And I think it was you know it was it was one of the first modules I ever owned. So of course I thought it was fantastic because I was a big huge sci fi fan.
3: So I I kind of have. S- the pendulum for me has swung the other way. For a long time, I hated Barrier Peaks because I thought mm-hmm. fantasy belongs in fantasy. Science fiction belongs in science <laughs> Oh, I would have fights with my best friend about this in high school. I would drive <laughs> – I mean we would just get angry, totally yeah. pissed off. And um, I've, come, I've, I've sort of come around. and A lot of that is from my experience in, in playing in the Myst universe and stuff. But um, I think there's ways to incorporate those elements as long as it's done and everyone is in on the, on the trope. If everyone is in on it and and they are expecting it, then I think it's it's not it's okay. Um, I can I can I can deal with it. And I can actually and I've begun to appreciate barrier peaks for that reason. Um, I really love the artifact charts, and I think Gamma World eventually uses those very same charts, or very, very close to it, the original Gamma World.
1: They're they're um, based on they're based off of the Gamma World charts because Jame, right. James Ward was uh, was developing Gamma World at the same time this was being right. Developed.
3: There you go, good historical perspective. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so, you know, I just think that the, it's.
2: I also think I, all, I all I like have it to- better. All I have to do to change things is just not reference the nurse robots as female and the ER robot as the male and then sure. it's fine. So
3: Yeah, you yeah. could absolutely, you know, they're moldable in such a way that go crazy, you know, you yeah. can change all kinds. Yeah, go nuts.
2: And I want somebody to play the big dumb barbarian from the past that sees all this crazy stuff and just goes <laughs> Yeah. I will I will give extra XP just for my players to do that.
3: I just want to see a gnome strap on that blaster rifle. <laughs> <laughs> and then fall over because it's like way too heavy.
2: That would but be awesome.
3: That would be pretty damn funny. Yeah. But um I, I wolf in sheep's clothing, I'm sorry, but that bothers me on a fundamental level.
2: <laughs> Why? I, I, don't you want the bunny Pet the buddy? It's not the bunny. It's not the bunny. <laughs>
3: it's not the bunny. I just, it, it affects me on a fundamental level and I'm just like no, get that the hell away from me
2: So
1: yeah. we're learning a lot about Randall tonight I know. I know his time in Sigil really did something to him awesome. <laughs> alright I think it's time to start
0: uh, asking for last thoughts
3: None. Uh, No last thoughts. Oh, I have last thoughts. I I was being polite to see who wanted to go first. I
2: cede my time to... There you go.
3: (laughs) My last thoughts are this, kids. If you want an interesting (laughs) historical experience um, for playing D&D and maybe a taste of what it was like in the past, sure, run one of the modules. Understand that there are problematic things in the modules, and that if you're the DM and don't want to deal with those, change them. Get rid of them. Um... And um, enjoy the rest while you can because they represent the, the beginnings and the flowering of a game that we all enjoy now. And, and, and there you go.
1: All right. Sam, last thoughts? Um, I agree with Randall. I, I think that uh, the book is beautifully done. It makes a wonderful brown spine with gold writing on it right next to my Unearthed Arcana with the errata. Um, but uh, in terms of use, you know, I, I, your mileage may sh- vary. I, I, your mileage may vary. and I, and, <laughs> yeah. and very greatly, there is a wide range of mileage. And I, I think that um, if you really want to, to experience something from the past, you should run it in the system that it was written in. And, chalk it up to whatever you know just make it fun and chalk it up to okay i had that experience and if you liked it awesome if you found lots of problems you know you just have to ignore it and move on and, and appreciate the more modern systems for what they bring mm-hmm. to the table so you know sometimes people you know in the midst of all the uh edition wars sometimes people forget that um the whole point is to have fun and so if you if this is something that you'll look at and you think you'll play it and have fun, then or even just reading it and ha- then by all means go out and purchase this product and use it for everything that you want to get out of it. Um, but you know, probably, you know, if you started playing D and D after, you know, or at or after third edition, uh, this book might not be very much value to you other than as a historical, you know, artifact. It's really not modern.
0: No. Well, yes. <laughs> Tracy, last thoughts? I
2: have two. One, uh, there are a lot of things in it that were very common at the time but may have bad memories for some people, and just be conscious of that. And second, I think you should read all these and then go read uh, Chick (laughs) Tracks and have fun.
0: And and catch that that recent uh, video from Pat Robertson, right? (laughs) All right, very good. I thought your final comments were just going to be, well, F this stuff.
1: (laughs) Well, that's... Part part of the problem with with any with any any game company making a new edition is that things have to change, right? And you're talking about an edition that's four editions old now, so you know you, you kind of it's actually kind of cool to read it and think, wow, man, I that's way different from what yeah. what it is now. Look and how far we've come, you know? Look, yeah, look at how much they've improved this over the years. You know, I mean. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I, I've enjoyed reading it. Uh my final thought, I've enjoyed reading it for the, the historical context for the um the the nostalgia factor. The understanding sort of of where we've come from. Um and and my final last thought is uh it's available at Amazon for twenty seven fifty <laughs> five and people should go through the uh Tom Show's affiliate link and, and buy and buy a copy if you're interested. <laughs> so there.
2: And on that note, we'd like to start saying our thank yous. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Noble Day, Games, and our guests, or people who are associated with the show in other ways. <laughs> yeah,
1: They're guests in this episode. <laughs> hey, hey, Randall, Randall, you don't even qualify as a guest anymore. Woo. <laughs>
2: it's okay. I'm used to it. Our editor, Sam Dillon. Sam, where can people
1: find you? Um. Wow. Nowhere. Nowhere. The Tome Show. Everywhere. The Tome Show. (laughs) I'm on two other podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Talk talk about your other podcasts. One of them is called Play on Target. It's a podcast about all types of RPGs and uh, different topics. And one of them is called Across the Table Madly, which is about all kinds of tabletop gaming. Uh, And, of course, I still write for RPG Musings, although I haven't written for there for a long time.
2: Very good. Okay. And uh, our man of the sheet, Randall Walker. Hey. Yeah,
3: you can find me on the Twitters as at (laughs) DeadOrcs. Or occasionally go by RamDoo. And also you can find me on Behind the DM Screen. And um, uh, what other one do we do? Oh, The News Show. That's right, yeah, with news Sam desk. and Jeff in The News Desk. The News Desk show that's still being called The News Desk. That's right.
1: That's right.
0: Very good. And if people wanted to get a hold of us, that's Tracy and I, or, or honestly, either of the other guys, because they're, uh, they're hosts on the, on the network here as well, on the, on the network, production company, whatever we want to call ourselves, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com, and that'll come to me, and I will forward on to, to anybody, who else, anybody else who needs to get it. Uh, or you can call us up at 919 biz That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can find show notes and other great Tome Show shows like Behind the DM Screen and The News Desk featuring lovely people that you heard in this episode at thetomeshow.com.
2: And that is episode two hundred fifteen, where Jeff fell in a huge pit with two hundred spikes. Sam was decapitated <laughs> by the sword of Black Razor. <laughs> Randall got beaten by baburoids. <laughs> <laughs> and I got <laughs> baburoids. Then that...
3: okay,
2: I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: sure, is that a thing? It is.
2: Yeah.
0: it is. Barrier okay. Peaks.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, that explains it.
0: Alright. I took something from each of the modules for
2: us.
3: Bitch <laughs> and pick me'.
2: I am singing from my Prison of I how I the how or pronounce that. As reviewed the Dungeons of Dread a reprint in this episode of Gato 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 Gato
3: I'm on the wall